Welcome to IFR Science, The Big Questions, a series where we ask experts some of the most pressing mysteries of science, technology and humanity. I'm your host, Rachel Funnell, social editor and science writer for IFR Science. Today, I'm going to be speaking with Luca Gamberini of Nemo's Garden, which is an organisation who have achieved the first ever underwater cultivation of terrestrial plants. Gamberini has been working on a new way of growing food using biospheres, which, kept in underwater environments like the ocean, are capable of producing their own condensation to water-growing plants. Being inaccessible to insects, the biospheres also remove the need for pesticides, which can be harmful to pollinators as well as the environment. Here, the mission of Nemo's Garden ties in with Our Green Planet, which is an impact initiative from BBC Earth that we at IFL Science are proud to be a part of. The goal? To raise awareness for the beauty and fragility of our planet's green ecosystems and forge a deeper understanding of the important role that plants and green spaces play in biodiversity, as well as being inspired by the extraordinary stories of people from around the globe who are dedicating their lives to enacting positive change. Gambrini and his team at Nemo's Garden certainly sit within this category as they've been working hard on perfecting underwater biosphere cultivation processes, which could reduce some of the negative impacts agriculture currently has on Earth's green spaces. So let's find out what it's all about. Hi, Luca. Thank you so much for joining us for the uh, Big Questions podcast today. Hi, Rachel. It's great to be here. So I guess the first question I wanted to touch on is what was it that first inspired you to think about growing produce underwater? Um, well, actually, the story is, is kind of funny. Um, it started as a garage experiment for my, for my father. Uh, he's the founder of the company. I am the third generation, so it all started with my grandfather. And um, my father's an engineer. He's a chemical engineer. He does spend a lot of time in Noli, where we ended up to have this uh, project installed. And during one summer, he was having a dinner with a friend who's a traditional farmer, so uh, working on, on land. And they have ha always had a great relationship and they were trying to find a point of contact in both their worlds uh, professionally and, um, and in their um, downtime. In uh, my, One of my father's hobbies is actually gardening and growing uh, plants and produce in our uh, countryside house. Um, and, and just as a bet, as a fun bet and discussion, uh, his friend said, why wouldn't you try to grow something underwater? And my father's that kind of guy, the kind of guy that just goes, you know what, I'll try that. And uh, so it was a bet. It was something stupid during a dinner. And um, and quite honestly, I was the, the, the guy that most opposed the thing. Because it started as a garage experiment, then it took a little bit more time. It went from vacation into work, into work and vacation and blended. Um, and we're doing a lot of stuff. We're, we're really all over the place. So in the beginning, to me, it just seemed like a loss of time. And uh, uh, But I, I think the first time that I actually saw a seed sprout underwater, I was hooked. I was convinced. Uh, and And... Sometimes happens with idea, you kind of retro-engineer the thing, right? We went from a bet, so something very childish, very stupid, very fun, to wait a minute. Now, it does solve some issues, and that's what, we, what took us to the next steps. Fantastic. That's a, a brilliant origin story. Um, so I guess it's crucial to ask, how actually does it work? 
Well, yeah, that's the retro engineering that we did. So um, the principles are incredibly simple. Um, the, the fact that we're underwater, uh, Biosphere behind me is a real life model, actually a real life Biosphere. This was underwater for a while, um, working unit. So we have one of those with a uh, air environment trapped inside, but underwater. The air stays trapped because the biosphere, this uh, cupola, is anchored to the seafloor. So it's just like when you flip over with the canoe, there's air inside. You can breathe. Same thing. Uh, water will not go in and the air will stay there. Um, so you do have a, a volume of air trapped on water. You do have transparency, so you get sunlight through the water and into the biosphere, and it's enough for the plants to grow. It actually cuts harmful frequencies of the light, um, which is great. And um, warmth, there's a lot of energy in the water. When you think about cities that are built close to the oceans and the sea, it's usually because in the time when they were founded, uh, they were created, it was very comfortable, there was a very comfortable temperature. That's because the huge basin of the oceans and the water just holds warmth so much longer. Vice versa, during the very warm summers, uh, such as the Mediterranean one, even though we're kind of in the north, at least for Italian standards, um, uh, it does become really, really warm outside. And the ocean, in this case the sea, chips in with the cooling effect. Um, so what it does is regulates temperature and it does the same thing inside the biosphere. We always have a very comfortable temperature around the biosphere and some degrees more um, inside the biosphere given by the fact that it's an air volume. So that volume will shift quickly in temperature. Outside, it will stay warm. What it happens is that during the summer, it's gonna be warm, but not too warm. And during the winter, inside, it's gonna be much warmer than the uh, air outside and a little bit warmer than the water outside which is very much warmer than the air. So, and that's for free. Uh, last, uh, well, not last, but one of the most other important and basic concepts of this project is that you get um, evaporation. So, and it's kind of the reason why we call it a biosphere. A biosphere is a term um, usually connected to a, uh, to, a, to a, a small scale of what the planet is, right? Uh, our planet is, is a sphere, it's a, it's a biological sphere, and this is a biosphere as well. It works in the same way because of physics, that um, water will slowly evaporate. It's just what happens in the oceans, right? And uh, when it evaporates inside the biosphere, it loses its content of salt. So it's not salty anymore, and it becomes actually fresh water. That fresh water can then be harnessed to um, hydrate the plant, through uh, humidity or really condensed thanks to the difference in temperature outside and inside and actually used to irrig irrigate the plants. Um, so that's another factor that is completely free, that you get completely for free underwater. Then you have protection, of course. There's nothing that is a, a common threat to the growth of plants that would reach them underwater. So we don't need any pesticide, we don't need anything of that sort to protect the plants. And um, all in all, I would say that another of the how it works and why it would work well is the fact that it's using an unutilized space, better volume. Um, and as long as we do it consciously, then bingo.
Amazing. And I'm going to ask, does it feel weird when you're inside the biosphere? This is incredibly weird. Um, you are in an inverted aquarium. For once, it's the fish looking at you like, what the hell are you doing there? Um, it's, 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 it's very strange. It happened in the first, uh, I think, years of experimentation when we uh, knew nothing. Again, we come from manufacturing, scuba diving and protection equipment. So definitely not um, agriculture agronomist at all. And uh, we started with soil. We, had, we still hadn't explored the idea of hydroponics, aquaponics, and, and not taking soil around the world. It, it's, it's a concept that, of course, we transcended, um, that we passed. Uh, but at the time, we did bring some soil. And soil carries a lot of issues. Um, one of them is being contaminated, meaning normal stuff uh, as larvae. So we, so we had uh, um, uh, small flies uh, hatch in the biosphere and all of a sudden you would be in scuba diving equipment breathing air underwater with fish outside and a fly in the air. Maybe five, six, eight meters underwater and that was really weird, <laughs> really weird. So why is it that we need to be looking for sort of alternative solutions for agricultural practices like this? Yeah, um, yeah. Let's take the the, the serious uh, turn. Uh, I would say, I think there are multiple reasons. Um, and so it's it's now years that we're talking about um, issues issues with our environment. Uh, it can be global warming. Um, it can be the depletion of our resources the rise of sea levels, um, pollution, um, CO2, uh, plastic. I mean, there's a number of things that us human beings are doing to our planet that is not okay. And we're leaving a huge footprint. And to the point where scientists are telling us that this footprint might not be uh, erasable at all. And we might be close, if not surpassing the turning point of, um, you know, not being able to go back. And uh, agriculture is a huge part of this footprint. Um, it is one of the culprit, the major culprit of global warming. We know that um, for various reasons. One might be the growing of crops for um, animal um, growth. So, so um, um, the you know big industry, meat industry, and uh, of course, uh, in general, agriculture does not only. Uh, deplete resources in that way. There is a pollution of the waterways. Um, there is um, the reduction of, of arable land space. There is the deforestation that is the, tr we're trying to increase that space, right? Um, to grow more. Um, we have incredibly uh, resource consuming cycles in agriculture. So we're uh, trying to increase the yields way more than we actually can and so on and so on. Um, every, everyone in this industry is trying to find a solution. There's experiments in UK with growing under, um, in the subways, I believe, or anyway, under, um, definitely uh, underground. Um, there are incredible companies, huge companies developing hydroponics to the max. Uh, we are, evaluating aquaponics, we're evaluating other food sources. 
if we are creatures of intellect, we understand when proofs, when, when certain, um, when certain signals are all going in one direction. And that direction is that we are a lot of people in this world and there's not enough to, to uh, sustain us all and definitely not enough to sustain us all in a way that can be manageable for the earth. The cycle is too quick. Um, and hey, I mean, if you, if you just look at the news, you know, today we're talking about the fact that we're possibly looking at uh, a um, hunger um, possibility coming up because of the war in Ukraine and just the fact that we are losing, I, I believe, 15% of the global production of grain. Um, and that's happening because we are so sensitive to these changes and aspects um, because we're pushing it too hard. So I think it's inevitable to try to cut my talk short. I think it's inevitable. We need to explore every possibility and we need to do that uh, in the most respons responsible way, which means we cannot only answer the question of let's make it cheap. Let's make it a lot, right? We need to find a way that is sustainable for the future. And it has to be a multi-dimensional answer to this question. It cannot be anything different. And I think that this, this solution is, is ticking a lot of boxes, maybe not all of them. Maybe we can do better. Actually, we can for sure do better and we can develop more, but we can use a lot of that space um, that is free to use. Uh, at least in our experience, it's not uh, damaging the environment, the underwater environment at all. It's creating new job opportunities. Uh, there's not a lot of underwater gardeners out there. Uh, it's something that can be uh, used um, in a lot of places in the world. I would say the whole middle belt of the world where there are in incredible differences in temperature and uh, lack of soil, arable land, resources, definitely water. Um, and there's a lot of actually sea and ocean available. So accessing even that uh, small fragment, a small percentage of that space is already a huge gain, I believe. So those environmental issues are really important. On that vein, how does this method of growing food using the biosphere compare in terms of sustainability to terrestrial produce growing practices? Well, I think that the fact that we can uh, um, extract a lot of components to, that are needed for the plants uh, in a sustainable way and in some way uh, for free. I want, I want to say for free. Uh, let's give an example. So if we need heating for a, for a, for a, uh, you know, for a greenhouse, okay, let's compare it to a greenhouse. If we install a greenhouse, we need cooling and we need warming. That's the point of a greenhouse. Now we have the ocean doing that for us, uh, at least to some extent. And that is the selection of the location where you go and install it, right? So it's kind of this deciding where, are, where am I going to place my land to grow produce? Am I going to do it on top of a mountain? Well, no, it doesn't really work that well. So you are adapting anyway to find the correct place. I'm just saying, let's find that correct place in a place that wasn't used before. In this case, the ocean. Let's decide a depth that is convenient for all the factors uh, that can maintain a certain amount, a certain level of temperature that is reasonable for the crops that you want to grow. And that you will have for free. You will never need to consume resources and thus pollute uh, money and resources in terms of environment uh, resources to heat 
and um, cool the, um, the, the, the greenhouse, the underwater greenhouse. Then you need water. Um, the depletion of our waterways uh, because of the diversion for the use of agriculture is known. It's very known. And uh, we don't need to do that. We are utilizing the ocean in the ocean. So it's a very uh, quick and uh, non it, it doesn't create bad consequences in the use of this water. Um, you're not using pesticides. Of course, there's nothing that can reach our plants. So you don't need pesticides uh, and, you don't, and you're not polluting the waterways in that way either or any other, um, you know, the soil or anything else. So I think you are combining the pros of um, greenhouses and uh, I want to say some aspects of hydroponics and aquaponics and putting it in an environment that benefits the plants uh, through natural uh, aspects. Another one is light. Again, there is a no need of protection uh, for the plants that is involving anything complex. The ocean does that already pretty, pretty well. Then we can go more in detail in what is the actual pros in the changes that occur in, uh, in the in the growth of plants underwater. And this is all a uh, new thing, I think, for us and for everyone. And it has to be still explored better, but our plants grow faster, in the, especially in the first phase of the life of the plant. There's a sprouting, which is, I wanna say, at least 50% faster in our, in our plants. And it's certainly due to various reasons. Uh, light, as we said, the environment, the stability, everything like that can be replicated in, in a um, greenhouse um, or in a, in a lab. But the aspect that is not commonly replicated and thus that we think is really applying to our plants in order to make them, to give them a faster growth and in a um, concentrated, um, concentrated essential oils, let's take the bas basal plants that are our control plant, is possibly the added pressure. So right now we are at, you know, just ambient pressure, but when we're underwater, we have an increased pressure. And that increased pressure possibly is contributing to both the growth factor and the heightened concentration of certain contents of the plants, which can benefit the, who consumes the plant, of course, or it can benefit the pharmaceutical industry whenever you are planting or growing things that have um, like superfoods or uh, or plants that have a uh, content that is interesting for pharmaceutical companies. Wow, that's really interesting how the uh, pressure can change the growth rate like that. Um, I was wondering if you could tell me some examples of like things that you've already grown, uh, what you hope to grow, and like if there are limitations on what these biospheres can create. We tested uh, a number of plants. Um, I would say at least from 50 to 100 different plants and uh, from uh, uh, aromatic herbs to, um, to uh, you know, like salads and strawberries and beans, anything with higher content energy-wise. Um, Melissa is a plant used for um, sugar derivatives. Um, and uh, we've had success with most. Um, we've had, again, we have, uh, we've had, uh, flowers, uh, underwater, which is incredible. We've had fruits such as strawberry, uh, growing underwater 
And um, I think that they've all been very, very successful. Of course, you need to select a plant that makes sense for the conditions you are in. Otherwise, you're doing exactly what we as human beings are doing wrong everywhere in the world, just expecting that a mango can uh, grow in Helsinki, which is uh, ridiculous, I think. And it's not the way we should go. Same thing applies to Nemo's garden. You cannot grow uh, grain. It's too, too, the plant is too big and this is too small. So that's not going to be a, a alley that we're um, interested in as of now with this shape, even though we are developing different shapes and different kinds of um, systems to maximize growth of bigger plants. Um, so this is the selection that we're doing. We would uh, select a plant that is compatible with the environment we're with where we're going to install the biosphere in. I want to say in that delta of temperature. Uh, so something that makes sense there with that degree of humidity without having to alter it too much and with size that makes sense to maximize the use of this of this uh, biosphere. Okay, amazing. And uh, with those sort of limitations in mind, but considering all of the environmental benefits, do you think that the future of farming could be underwater? I honestly think so. I honestly think that um, there is a part of demand that can be uh, solved and can be answered with these with this technology. I find it very logical. Uh, in our experiences, all these biospheres have become an artificial reef where we decided to install these biospheres. There was only gravel, nothing. Um, of course, there's always life in the ocean, luckily, or mostly. Um, and it's, of course, a place where it's not specific, where it's not polluted. So I want to say that. Um, but it had been destroyed by dumping of a amount of quartz and sand due to the what happens in Italy, which is often trying to uh, rebuild the, the, the you know the sand and the beach for the tourists during the during the summer. So they just dump a lot of dirt, and that suffocates everything. It goes on top of the algae and the ecosystem and just suffocates it. And then the result is what we are experiencing, which is a uh, desertic, or apparently desertic, uh, flat land of gravel, stone, and mud and sand. So we install the biospheres there, and all of a sudden, what happens is it becomes a shelter for smaller organisms. They all crowd there. They all grow upon all the things that we've made, which attracts bigger animals, uh, which attract bigger animals, and you know the normal food chain. And now it's it's an aquarium. I mean, we've had uh, students there studying the the biodiversity around the biospheres with, with actual scientific papers demonstrating that we have uh, a unique uh, environment which is not um, replicated around it, which means that's a magnet for, for um, sea life. So if we can do that and at the same time grow produce, I think we're doing something good. If we also accept the fact that these technologies can be installed where it's going to be most needed. Let's take Maldives as an example. They, uh, well, they, <laughs> the nation imports everything. They, or mostly, I think almost everything. They cannot grow anything in their country. Um, so everything comes through ship and that's, that's a toll on the environment, on resources. Um, and, and you also need to keep the cost down because then it, otherwise it becomes inaccessible, right? How is that reasonable? It is not. And it's not something that can be, a, um, uh, in the long run, uh, sustainable at all. Um, so I think if you start and installing 
biospheres and things like this in places such as the Maldives that have these constraints and resources, you are for sure at least partially uh, answering the demand and the needs for these places. Imagine all the new jobs that you can create also. It's a whole new technology that blends competences that, um, that people there might not have and also could create you know, some more. It can create an incredible tourist attraction as well. I mean, it's just beautiful. It looks incredible from, from the surface and from underwater. So yeah, I truly believe that it's a, it's a futuristic answer to our issues. Amazing, yeah, I'd love to see it. Um, so what do you hope to achieve next with Nemo's Garden? Maxim, we need to maximize the yield for sure. The, it doesn't. It, it kind of sounds like it's a counter argument to what I said before, where we're always trying to achieve that. But I do understand and agree that there is a price point that you need to reach, which is definitely not what you will find for you know uh, 50 grams of or 10 grams of basil in the in the supermarket. That's not possible. I think as of now, with our technology, we need to try to get as close as possible, which I don't expect it to be uh, the same price at all. I truly believe that the prices that we are uh, accustomed, the cost that we're accustomed to pay for these um, these products in supermarkets, it's um, artificial. It's given from the fact that we are not including the damages in our environment. Uh, that that are that are uh, we're um, bringing to our environment to to have these costs so low. I truly believe that uh, that is true, and um, and we'll see that in the future. If we aggregate all the damages that we've uh, caused and the the billions of dollars that we need to that we will need to and that we have already invested in damages um, due to global warming and climate change, I think that that prices rise up easily and then the gap is reduced. Definitely. So for my final question, and speaking a bit more generally now, how do you think that we can make better use of our seas? That's a great question. Um, we need to regulate it for sure. Uh, at least in my experience, we've been working with the ocean and the sea and waterways since um, now quite some time. And definitely all my life has been in the ocean. And what I see is there's no regulation. There is really no regulation. Just the fact that there are international waters that are um, non-regulated as the national waters. And you see, uh, uh, you know, fishing with absolutely no rules. Um, and uh, I just think it's a no one's land. And we don't care as much. We're starting to care now, thanks to documentaries and sensational documentaries, of course, that that try to sway public opinion uh, to not accept that this should be okay. Um, I think we need to do much, much, much more, much more. We should try to regulate also in a little bit more uh, rational way. There are incredibly strict regulations that block research uh, due to environmental reasons, which I understand completely. And then there are black holes of deregulation everywhere else. I think we need to come together as a global community. Um, there's no other possibility. As long as we are following different rules, different set of rules, so certain parts of the world follow incredibly strict rules and other parts of the world are completely deregulated. And that is then mixing up in the international community of 
the free exchange and, and you know, uh, capitalistic market, which is normal, uh, that's not going to work. It's simply not going to work. We, we need to understand that, I think. And regulating whatever happens in the ocean to, on a global scale is of paramount importance. Yeah, I think you raised some really interesting points there. So thank you so much for your time today, Luca. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing where you go next with Nemo's Garden, and I hope we get to catch up again soon. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to IFL Science, The Big Questions. Head over to iflscience.com and don't forget to sign up to our newsletter so you don't miss out on the biggest stories each week. Until next time.